number 13 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, Finding Your Way, recorded February 13th, 2019. My name's Eric, the host of the show. I'm based in Southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, uh, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN, and computer geek. Uh, I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, power outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help get people prepared and look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. Greetings from Vancouver Island. My name is Ian and I live on a small hobby farm. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, target shooter, reloader, and my farm's designated handyman. My professional background has allowed me to explore all of Canada. It has also taught me to adapt to unexpected situations and reinforces my belief that learning never ends. I'm Alan. Uh, my friends and family call me safety nerd. Uh, my background as a first responder helped me develop a mind for safety. Uh, I teach first aid, coach my friends and family to be better prepared. Uh, locksmith by trade, I've now worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years. I'm Gavin, a business owner, gun owner, hunter, atheist, volunteer, first responder, CCFR field officer for the greater Toronto area, and a regular panelist on the other CPP, which is Canadian Patriot Podcast. All right, so we've got some great content for you in this episode. We're going to start out with some news articles relating to preparedness in the outdoors. And next, we'll be letting you know how we've improved our, pre- our preparedness since our last episode. Then we're going to get into the main topic of this episode being orienteering. It involves some basic navigation tools, tips, and tricks. So let's uh, cover off some news articles. I found a really disturbing article from upstate New York, uh, Fulton County. Um, they laid off 55 staff and shut down their entire ambulance service for the con- for the county due to financial trouble. That means that if you call 911 there, an ambulance is coming from a responding from a neighboring county, if it's coming at all. Is this, uh, is this kind of like a, a, a very large county or is this kind of a small, like, you know, high population density thing? I feel like it's a fairly large county with a sparse population. I honestly didn't look up where Fulton County is other than it's um, one of the responding, one of the neighboring counties includes Ithaca. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, they think they're going to pass on the cost to another county. I don't know if the other county is okay with that or not. <laughs> exactly. Yikes. <laughs> So yeah. even though you live in a, even though you live in the Western world, an ambulance may not be coming. Well, there you go. Good, good point. Gavin, is there anything you want to cover off at all? Um, I guess it's it's not really a news article, but uh, a friend of mine recently published a book, and I, for those of you that, that are watching, I've got a copy of it here, and it's the uh, the True North Trade Craft Disaster Preparedness Guide uh, by my friend Boris Milankovic. Um, for those of you that are new to prepping, this is an excellent sort of primer. It, it really doesn't go into a whole lot of detail, but it gives you somewhere to start for all those people that are like, I have no idea where to start. So I, I picked it up from him the other day and I you know, I read through it in a, a very short time, but it's a, it's a great starter for people that just, yeah, have no clue where to start. Amazon or where do they find that? Uh, you can find it on his website, uh, actually, uh, True North Tradecraft. He also teaches a bunch of cool classes and stuff like that. Awesome. You're into learning weird stuff, like is I am. He, is he in Ontario, or where is he? Yeah, he's out of Toronto. Uh, he is a former Canadian military, current um, reservist. He's worked in border security and all kinds of stuff like that. So Cool. Yeah, he teaches uh, counter custody classes and, you know, lock picking and, and fun things like that now. Oh, cool. Yeah, lock picking is a lot of fun. Yes, he's a, he's a good friend to have. 
<laughs> I got a couple I want to talk about. It's all local. It's all about me this time. Um, so from the Vancouver Courier, uh, I don't know if you guys have heard what was going on lately. We had a, basically a week and a half here of uh, windstorms followed by snowstorms. And uh, isn't, that, isn't that your article every week? Windstorms and snowstorms? <laughs> no, surprisingly, this winter I know what's going on. We had no winter up until about two weeks ago, and then all of a sudden, uh, I was actually in Vancouver with my, one of my daughters on a uh, on a, a sports tournament there, and the windstorm got so bad they actually had this like. Um, I guess it was a barge of some sort. Basically, they went and smashed into a bunch of boats, so they shut down the ferries for the day. Uh, they're getting 100 kilometer hours of winds on the uh, the coast there, which is very unusual here. And then they turn around, and we end up getting about 40 centimeters of snow, like not even a couple days later. So basically, everything shut down here for a couple days. So uh, didn't even leave the acreage for at least a couple days there. Um, we were talking about Ricky numbers earlier. Yeah, Ricky <laughs> numbers, absolutely. But, Ricky numbers. <laughs> but for here, when they're not, when they have like three snow plows right. for the entire island, 40 centimeters of snow is like snowmageddon, right? So absolutely, well, it's, a short time. We were just uh, surprised that that much fell, but also uh, more surprised the power didn't go out so it was uh it was definitely been a crazy couple months here awesome yeah so i've got uh i've got an article here about uh from gatineau quebec and it's in regards to smartphones leading some uh hikers astray and it just talks about uh, the gatineau park hikers who rely on their cell phones for directions are getting lost when the technology fails a trend that's worrying guides and the park staff. And it uh, talks about uh, poor reception, drain batteries, uh, outdated trail information, and uh, how that sort of thing is leading trekkers in the uh, the wrong direction or just getting them completely lost. So uh, I figured it was an appropriate news article for uh, for this episode. And, uh, something Absolutely. we're going to be talking about. Actually, I made the mistake of renting a car with the GPS down in Australia, and it was bad enough as driving on the wrong side of the road. Well depends on which time of the day it was actually like their right side but also i was driving on my side and that really caused problems but a lot of times the gps would be telling me to turn left right into a hillside or off a bridge or whatever because the database was way out of date and all the roads had changed and i guess if you're going to follow the thing blindly yeah you better make sure everything's up to date oh absolutely that happened i want to say in owen sound area in uh, in ontario and bruce peninsula a couple of years ago a woman followed a gps and drove it right into the right into the water they literally drove it down down a boat ramp because she was just looking at the gps and not at the road alcohol oh, yes. may or may not have been a factor right? <laughs> <laughs> stupid gps yep. oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's totally the gps's fault that happened well absolutely yeah. yeah you don't have to pay attention to where you're going when you're following a gps right you just no. follow the voice prompts <laughs> well, maybe we'll move into what we've done lately for our preps. So for me, uh, I've been on the road last week uh, since the last episode. Uh, so besides carrying my uh, my go bag from hotel room to hotel room, I haven't done a whole heck of a lot else, but uh, at least I know I can pick the bag up and, and carry it up a, a good number of flight of stairs and back down out to the car. That's that's a it's better than better than most. Uh, I've had a busy week. I actually started studying for my uh, for my lessons. Uh, Eric, I'm going to be uh, looking to you for help for that. I'm sure. Uh, I'm no hoping problem. to eventually take over my grandpa's call sign. It's actually still registered to him, so um, nice. we'll see how that goes. Um, had a, did a little activity with the kids on the weekend. We made a, uh, a little candle car heater, uh, which was just kind of fun, and uh, signed up for a wilderness rem- wilderness and remote first aid class. 
I'm starting to, starting to talk about being able to supply first aid uh, first aid equipment wholesale. Um, my goal is to be able to supply the supply the, the prepper community with the the stuff we, we need every day. It's it's uh, it's fun to look at all the um, all the tactical packs and tourniquets and chest seals, but most of what we most of what we see is um, cuts and scrapes and bruises, and it's uh, you know. For hundreds and hundreds of years, it was infections that killed people a whole lot more than injuries. So, um, be, being prepared for both and having the uh, having the equipment on hand to deal with all of the uh, all of the potentials. So that's my uh, that's my next step, my next evolution. Hmm. Uh, Gavin, you get anything? Uh, yeah, I guess I've been been doing a lot of reading because uh, I haven't really had a chance to do much else. But uh, my my experimental garden that I talked about when I was on last, I harvested my first uh, bunch of lettuce, and it was delicious. Lettuce. So, yeah, not cool. the devil's lettuce, but actual lettuce. <laughs> um, Is that what kids are calling it nowadays? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> it, it was quite delicious. So uh, I'm happy with that. My my concept is proven that it works so i'm going to continue on with it and keep growing some stuff inside well awesome. and, and knowledge is one thing nobody can take away from you it's in your head forever right so it's always yep. with you so yeah it's about the only thing they can't take from you <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're really trying but yeah anyway. or tax you on that yet yeah actually i didn't even include that article but new jersey's starting to tax people for rainfall on their property Really? Of course. Yeah. So basically, if you have a non-permeable surface in New Jersey, um, because it causes runoff and it goes into the sewers, they're actually going to charge you tax for every square foot of non-permeable material on your property. But what huh. if you're using that non-permeable material to collect it so that it doesn't run off into... Are they going to tell you that you can't do that either? Oh, yeah. They've that's, already outlawed that's, it. That's, yeah, that's already a thing in a bunch of states where they yeah. you, you can't collect rainwater because that actually that belong, that it's been determined that belongs to the government, not to you. Yeah. So that's already illegal. Because, because they're somehow different. <laughs> yeah. Oregon, I think, and New Jersey and a couple of places have already outlawed rainwater collection. And uh, so no New Jersey, basically, if you have pavement, basically, and concrete decks and stuff like that, that's where they're going to sustain you for. So uh, just when you thought they couldn't tax you enough, right? So if you don't collect rainwater, you get taxed on. If you do collect rainwater, you're breaking the law. Sure. It's, I get that. It's, yeah. al it's almost like you're a tax farm for them or something. Yeah. Huh. Almost. Yeah. Jersey, Jersey is a terrible, terrible state. I spent some time there recently, and... Well, from what I've seen of it, they call it the Garden State, but I haven't seen too many gardens where I've been, so it's... Uh... No. <laughs> anyway, uh, for myself, uh, basically, I had the, uh, one of my friends there, the traveling prepper, I think he's uh, contributed a few times to the podcast here. So he came for a visit, uh, gave him his first tour of the Doomstead here, uh, worked on some propane storage. Uh, with the weather being the way it is, nothing's built for below zero weather here, so we've been scrambling around trying to keep all the chicken waters from freezing and keeping the alpacas in water and stuff. Um, he said we had about 40 centimeters of snow, something like that, um, which... Again, for you guys, sounds lightweight, but for us, it's a big deal. Um, took myself to the range because I'm on my summer vacation, <laughs> and then uh, did some. Uh, finally, did some more brass prep. Uh, fixed a few mechanical issues around the farm. Uh, did some actual reloading for once, and uh, then I worked up a few test loads for uh, bulk 308, so I can take that uh, to the range for cheaper shooting. I think I got it down to about 43 cents around, uh, which is usually pay about 80 cents to a buck around, depending on what you buy in this store. So. Well, that's nice. Awesome, yeah. Yeah. Not bad at all. Well, maybe we'll uh, we'll move into the main topic of the show being orienteering. So uh, I'll put the uh, the question to the panel: Why do we need to think about orienteering? 
Because your phone only lasts for so long. Yeah. Got it. And oh my God, I don't have a signal. What do I do? (laughs) Or I dropped my phone and now it's broken and now I can't, and now I don't know which way to go to get home. Yeah. And I mean, a few of us definitely go into unfamiliar cities on a regular basis. So, I mean, if you, uh, somebody gives you directions and says you want to go a little bit north of here or whatever have you, it's just nice to have the, uh, the basic concepts down in your brain in unfamiliar territory for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like because because I would rather die than ask for directions. That's why it's important. <laughs> yeah, also true. Yeah. I don't want to talk to weirdos. So. Nope. <laughs> why are you here then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, I think we covered that off with a couple episodes ago with the hunting thing. So you're, if you're coordinating a hike, <laughs> a, a hike, a hunt, a patrol, even a search for those people that do search and rescue. Uh, if you want to coordinate things uh, with north, south, east, west, GPS coordinates, it's always nice to have a basic understanding of how all that stuff works too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. As well, if you're yeah. doing the hunting thing or out in the woods and, and you get lost, having a, an idea of how to get back to where you started or, or back to some form of civilization certainly helps as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it also helps keep you in your, your WMU because you yep. certainly don't want to <laughs> go into the wrong one and shoot something out of season or beyond private property yeah oh you don't want that at all well we were talking about uh maybe doing an off-grid show so i mean placing solar panels in the right direction if you want to get into true south that's uh you're going to get the most efficiency out of a solar panel so you have a good idea how to figure that out that helps yeah i think it's safe to say that there's absolutely no reason to not know at least which way is north and which way is home all the time Yeah. yeah Or where your base camp is, wherever, where, where, where do I belong at the end of the day and how do I get there from here? Well, yeah, I mean, just even getting around in a big city, I mean, you, you know, if you take the subway or something and you come out and it's sort of overcast or, I mean, you just happen to be where there's a bunch of tall buildings and you can't really see a landmark that you normally use, it's handy to be able to figure it out. You know? I stepped I stepped off a stepped off a Greyhound in Toronto one time, and I knew I had to go about six blocks east and about eight blocks north. But it was overcast, and I had no idea which way north and east were because I'd, I'd never been there before. So it was uh, yeah. my all, all of all of my all of my my time spent navigating the woods as a as a scout was fantastic. I knew I had to go six blocks east and eight blocks north, but I couldn't find east or north. Oh, yeah, and where I was standing. A lot of the time, even in the cities, when you've got your phone and you've got full batteries, you're not getting the greatest signal to tell you what direction you are because of the interference from everything else. So my uh, my my previous girlfriend, I actually had to buy her a compass because she worked in Toronto a lot and would commute in on the subway and do security at different venues. And she would know, OK, I know I need to go north, but which way is north? Like, I have no idea. It's nighttime, so there's no sun. I can't see the lake. I can't see anything. What, what direction do I need to go? So she would just pull out her compass and okay, that way. Oh, you're I've bought people compasses before, but but only uh, only because we'd gotten lost. <laughs> <laughs> well, even the uh, you mentioned the cell phone thing for sure. Like if you're in downtown Vancouver stuff with all the tall buildings around, you'll see the little blue pulsing dot like fly around almost a block sometimes, just trying to figure out where you are and everything else. So that's not a you know, maybe the best technology, but it's not the most reliable for sure. Yeah. It's great when it works. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. When it works, it's awesome. But uh, <laughs> it doesn't if work, everything worked all the time, we wouldn't have a podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. So I guess we'll start with Alan. You had a few points you want to make there too, eh? 
Oh, just a few. Uh, so understanding basic navigation, how do we get from point A to point B and on purpose? Um, knowing where you are, knowing where you're going. Um, what was that line? Was it uh, Back to the Future? This one tells you where you're going. This one tells you where you are. This one tells you where you've been. Um, way back in the day, we, I learned you know, through scouts, actually in geography class in grade nine, we learned about how to read a map and how to create or remember waypoints. So understanding understanding maps, the basic stuff. Uh, if a map is if a map is foreign to you, then the way that the words look normal, right, top to bottom, left to right, uh, that's the the top of the map points north or grid north, which is not necessarily true north. And I think we've got we've got a point about that later. But um, paper maps are fantastic. I, I remember being really really young and studying the map of downtown to uh, to understand if I if I get off if I get off the bus in one place, how do I get to another and um, that taught me a lot about how I mean how cities are built and how and how the flow should theoretically work, uh, the flow of traffic and the flow of, the flow of people. <laughs> I mean, you've got you, you know one way streets that go that go you know east and west and north and south, and theoretically they should take you to everywhere you want to go. But not all roads go everywhere, of course. Uh, not all roads go all the way through. Um, and there are a couple of different ways the maps are laid out and the, the cities are laid out. Uh, most downtowns, right, most core, most core places of cities are laid out in a grid pattern, right? Your, run, your roads run based in north, south, and east, west, and, you know, within variations, they're set distance apart. And it's pretty easy. Uh, you, you look at, uh, you know, Manhattan, for example, as a, as a primary example of that, they've got hundreds and hundreds of streets and they're all numbered and named and you go six up and four over and there you are. Uh, a lot of residential areas are laid out in a grid in a garden pattern instead of a grid pattern. That's where you see crescents and cul-de-sacs and winding streets and some don't go anywhere and some double back on each other. There's a um, there's a place in uh, there's a there's an intersection in South London where a road actually doubles back on itself. When I was young, we always called that the nexus of the universe, where Jalna and Jalna cross. If you're in London, you you know that you know that spot because that was that was where everything starts. Because yeah, from there, no matter where you are, you're going. There's one of those weird Jalna. figure eight roads near me that it's just like what. <laughs> you, can, you can cross the same road several times. Yeah, um, and and they're they're great for they're great for slowing down traffic and for making it feel homey and and cottagey and gardeny. But um, if you're trying to actually get somewhere, um, they can be they can be less than less than intuitive compared to a grid pattern. A grid pattern, oh, I miss my turn. Oh, I go up to the next road. I make the, I make the next turn. I make the, and then I make one back and I'm in my spot. But uh, with a garden pattern, if you make the next, if you make the next turn, uh, it may take you off in an entirely different direction. That's like Europe in a nutshell right there. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, Don't even time. get me started on how their cities are laid out. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't, I think that was, was it Eisenhower that said that the biggest challenge they had in the, the European theater during the Second World War wasn't munitions it wasn't you know it wasn't uh you know the Luftwaffe. it was getting material from point a to point b when you couldn't read the road signs and they didn't mean anything to you well actually i remember hearing stories about that too during um the uh, battle of the balls there and everybody's removing road signs and causing confusion just by giving bad directions and they were sending you know allied soldiers like 50 miles in the wrong direction just because of like the spoken word and, and curvy roads it's it's just a crazy i was nothing's grid pattern there Yep. No. Grid patterns are efficient, but they're not fun sometimes. But most of the roads in Europe are old, like dirt paths that just got paved. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's such an old part of the world that it was before true, like, you know, cities and big giant 
you know, excavation projects that we have now that, you know, it's like a little dirt road from people taking their ox cart to market. And then they're just like, yeah, we're just going to pave this. <laughs> yep. and, and they had, they had the chance to learn about true North from the Egyptians too. So yeah. <laughs> and they haven't made their roads any wider either. Now that they have the technology to do so, they're still only like that, you know, eight feet wide. Yeah. That's just two yep. cars or, and three, if there's one part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So one of the other things to pay attention to when you're looking at your looking at the roads that are around you is what goes all the way through and what are your pinch points. So a pinch point uh, is something that is something where a series of roads bottleneck. Uh, in a grid pattern, most roads, you know, if, if one road is blocked, you go up a block, you go up two blocks, you keep going, and you get around the construction or the accident or the protests or whatever it happens to be in the way. But if you're if you're in a place where, for example, you have to cross a river, then your pinch points become the bridge, and you can only cross the bridge if you're if you're in a vehicle, um, or railroad tracks, for example, or a divided highway. Um, I have a divided highway that I have to cross every single day on my way to and from work, and there are two, you know, there are kind of two logical crossings, and if I if one of them is one of them is blocked it's a long way around to get to the other one and if that one is also blocked it's an even longer way i mean it can be upwards of an hour if i have to go to a, go, go to a third location and come all the way around and come back to it um, but because i have i have train bridges highways and rivers to cross all between here and home or working home it's really easy to bottleneck down into one of you know one of two roads and if one of if one of those two roads is blocked then without knowing what's around me i'm in a world of hurt hmm. no that's well, of course just in a car yeah well it's a good idea to know you know primary and alternate routes to start in the back of your head too without even consulting the map right oh yeah absolutely yeah but I mean, I grew up in this area, so I know the I know the roads pretty well. I don't really bother with happening. I know my way around. But um, explaining, uh, like I live out in the country now. Explaining to my mother, who has lived in the same city for sixty plus years, how to get out to my house. She understands the one road, and then that road was closed for construction all year. So how do you get around that construction? I'm trying to explain to her, she doesn't, you know, that she can't visualize the map. Um, it was more than a little frustrating a couple of times. It's very scary the number of people that know one way to get to work or one way to get to a certain location and one way to get home. And if yeah. there's anything that gets in the way, lost. It's, so, yeah. well, it's like cottage country traffic on the 400 going northbound, right? I mean, these, these guys every Friday and Sunday, they line up and spend eight hours because they can't be bothered to go 500 meters to the left or right and take a side road. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yep. Uh, you're not being a very good gray man if you take one route to and from work every day. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> just, just a touch predictable I mean, on that one. I mean, yep. Not that I don't do that because I'm lazy, but also... <laughs> <laughs> if there's any cause for concern, I'm sure you would take an alternate route. <laughs> yes, I, I, and lately I've had to with the, the crappy weather and all the accidents. I've had to change routes mid-drive many a time this last week, so... So actually, I learned something. You guys actually have country roads that are like one and a quarter miles apart or 2K? Yeah, so the, uh, the the concession system in southern Ontario, anyways, I don't know if it applies everywhere, but the, uh, the concession system, all those roads are 1.25 miles apart. They're all a mile and a quarter, which works out to approximately two kilometers. So if you're walking down a concession, every time you catch a cross street, you've gone 2K. 
So if you know how many roads it is between here and there, you know, you know, I know I've crossed, I know I've crossed seven of the 10 roads I have to cross. And so I'm almost home. That's interesting the way they did it there, because I mean, like I I mentioned there in the notes, I mean, on the prairie roads, they're exactly a mile apart because that's when they surveyed it, that we were using the, you know, the imperial system. And so they had everything, you know, that's why a quarter section is a quarter mile by quarter mile. And you get a full section that's one mile and everything else. So every farm in in the prairies is pretty much a, a fraction of a mile, basically. And so, as long as you understand where what your what your local concession system is, I mean, you know, I live in Southern Ontario, so that's what I know. But if you if you know that out in the prairies, if you're in Manitoba and you know that all your all your roads are a mile apart, then you can use that as a use that as a metric for how far have you gone, how far do you have left to get home. Don't even get me started on the seniorial system there in Quebec, where everything's just you know skinny little lots back from the river and makes no sense whatsoever it's very european <laughs> yeah and everything is named saint something or other everything well there's, well, there's a pierre and a joseph in every name i think but yeah. yeah pierre joseph there's there are a lot of louis there are a lot of saint louis out there yeah and a couple I'm of driving, right? <laughs> I've, uh, I have to drive I'm, I'm driving through Quebec to New Brunswick in uh, in July I gotta go I'm gonna go visit some family out there and um, my uh, I haven't taken my kids through there in many many years and we're gonna play, uh, we're gonna play the name game and see how many see how many Saints and how many uh, Louis we can find and how many Pierres because it's they're they're all they're all named they're all named something and every, and you can you can always tell when you're coming up on a town because you can see the steeple of the Catholic Church from seven miles further away than everything else. Yep. With that, so actually, I, I learned all this today uh, before the show. But you guys want to talk about the Ranger beats there or the pacing beats? Yeah, we can do that. Oh, you, Gavin. Uh, yeah. So for, for the people watching, um, this is a set right here. They're very simple to use. It's just a string. And you basically have, you know, nine beads, and then mine has four above it, but above it you can put as many as you want. Uh, and the idea is that you need to, to do some homework before you can use these. And the homework is that you need to know how many steps you have in 100 meters. So you can test that out. You can go to your local, you know, football field, as long as it's a Canadian football field. So it'll be in meters and try that out. And and see what it is. And then once you have that number and you got to try to do it in a couple of different types of terrain. So sort of just flat open ground, you know, and then like densely wooded and then maybe something in between. And then once you know what your pace count is, you start walking when you're doing, you know, a walk in the woods. And when you hit that number of steps, you take the bead at the bottom and you, you move it. And then you keep doing that. And then eventually, you know, you're going to get to, to nine and then you do one more. And then that's, that's, 10 sections so that's one kilometer then you move the little bead at the top to keep track of it and start again at the bottom and you know and kind of work your way down and then that gives you a a fairly accurate count of how far you've walked um when i do the volunteer search and rescue stuff if we go out on a search there will be two people carrying these per team that's out and two people will be counting so that we have a, a, a accurate distance that we can give somebody to say we were in grid you know number this and at a kilometer or a kilometer and a half or 700 meters or wherever it is we found something so that people are able to to place that accurately on the sort of map in the, the command center 
that's really neat. I've never seen that before. So that's something I learned about uh, just at the uh, yeah. pre-show as well. Yeah, so they're, they're really easy to make. Um, just like a piece of string and some beads. That's all you really need. Um, but super, super handy for keeping track of distance in sort of the most basic way. I mean, it's an abacus, but you kind of hang it off your, you know, strap on your pack and then just sits there and all you got to do is just count and move beads. Yeah, simple and effective. Makes good sense. Yeah, yeah I like it's it. Cool. You got two people, uh, then you split the difference, and you you can even uh, split the difference when you get to a kilometer. And one person's at a kilometer, and one person's at nine hundred meters and change. And you know, you can you can split the difference and know almost almost to the step where you are, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, we we just we do two people, so it's a redundant system in case one person forgets. But okay. makes yep. sense. Yeah, just. I mean, it's it just handy for that because, I mean, some of the stuff that um, I haven't been too involved with because it's usually outside of the greater Toronto area. And by the time that they we would get there, we don't, they've already found the person that's missing, but uh, they, they want to be able to document stuff because sometimes it may be a criminal thing and they find evidence. So they've got to be able to accurately document that. So just having two people do it means that the likelihood of both of them forgetting is low. Makes good sense. Absolutely. But yeah, also, also, yeah, it helps to, to be that much more accurate too, because yeah, you can kind of compare and contrast your, your numbers and go, well, it's somewhere between 900 and 1,000, you know? So there was a life before Fitbits then. Yes. <laughs> well, a life before GPS too. I mean, it's it's really easy to, you know, pop the Garmin out of your pocket and drop a drop a marker and keep going or open up Google Maps and drop a pin. But, um, that only works as long as, you know, as long as we have, you know, battery life and as long as we have a service signal. And I'm sure there are dead spots for GPS somewhere in the world. And if you happen to run into one of those or if there's some catastrophic failure then you may very well end up on your own actually with gps there's actually planned outages depending on how the satellite is spinning above you because they're not geostationary or anything they actually like they're still you know orbiting around so based on coverage there actually is planned outages uh, in certain areas for certain amounts of time and, and they, they're easily predicted but they don't advertise them obviously sure yeah, yeah i mean then the, you know weather and everything else really messes with those things i mean a, a compass works pretty much all the time as long as you haven't demagnetized it and even if you did you can remagnetize it and it works again yep hey, another kind of good thing something that was again put into my head when i was really really young is no matter where you are always know where north is and if you always know where north is then everything else falls into falls into place when i leave home i know that i'm you know I, i'm i'm going to work and i know that it is north and east of where i live so if i always know where north is i to get home from work i always have to go south and west how i actually get there matters less than the direction i'm going I think we got a couple of ways to figure out where north is here coming up, don't we? 
moss always grows on the north side of trees and other things that we tell and other lies that we tell ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're in the southern hemisphere, in which case, then... yeah, or, or around here where moss grows all around the tree, all all around the trees. So everywhere's north. That's right. Yeah. Everywhere's north. Well, I mean, the, you know, they're the basics, right? The sun rises in the east and sets in the west, and, and if you're in the northern hemisphere, then at noon the sun is due south, and if you're in the southern hemisphere, the sun the sun is due north at noon, and if you're on the equator, then the sun is always all around you and there is no north anymore yeah yeah but if you're there it doesn't matter because you probably got like a pina colada in your hand and there's you're fine yes and if you don't uh, you better get one yeah <laughs> all of a sudden the only direction is the direction to the bar that's the only direction yeah. that matters yeah which is north. Yeah. <laughs> but just, just, being, but just paying attention to that, right? I mean, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of those things that I, you know, again, I learned when I was, when I was a kid was, um, which are the main north south streets in my city? And once, you know, then when I cross those streets, I, I can, I know that, um, my main north south streets and I cross that street. Oh, well, that means I must be facing either east or west. And then if I cross another one, then I know that I'm that, that you know, road B is east of road A, then I know that I'm heading east. If I have nothing else, if I have nothing else, then just understanding how the map works, I can figure out my direction of travel based on the landmarks that I cross. All right, Gavin, anything you want to bring up before I get going? No, I mean, I think yeah, I think that's. I used to do the same thing, like riding in the back of the car with a, a map as a kid, just like looking at the streets and trying to figure out what direction I was going. Maybe that's because like I'm a weirdo. Um, I thought I was the only one. No, no, I, I, did, I, I did that to too. Do. Uh, I did it as well. Like, yeah. you know, it, don't be wrong. I, I, uh, I, I love having a GPS, especially because like I travel a lot, and it makes it a lot easier. So I can actually like drive and enjoy the scenery when I do that, and not worry about it. But I mean, you were saying about your trip to Australia and everything. Well, I did that before like pocket GPSs were a thing, and so we did it all by map. So like every night my buddy and I would sit down and map out our route for the next day. And then like whoever was not driving was the navigator. It's a valuable skill. Like I still keep that giant roadmap Atlas thing to Ontario in my car. Absolutely. Cause so, you never know. That's the two arguments the wife and I have. She likes the, the book style that, that has like a little map section in each book. I like the big fold out super duper paper map. And then, of course, I orient the map to the direction I'm going. And then she likes to keep it north side up all the time. So I do the same thing. People think so. I much prefer the big map as well. And I will fold it down to a size that's workable. But in the car, I keep the little book one because it's just more convenient for that. But yeah, I do the same. Like if I'm heading east, I will turn the map so that east is up. Direction of travel. Yeah. yeah, and then I can give directions like turn right or turn left because I know that not everyone go knows north, south, east, and west. And if I tell them, well, you need to turn west here, they're going to be like, what direction is that? <laughs> yep. I, I've traveled with some people that don't know they're seen left and right and have to go like, oh, no. Yeah, but at least they've got a thing to do that. Yeah. There's no thing to do east, north, south, east, west, unless yeah. they happen to have a compass on them. So I'm dyslexic. This does not work for me. Yeah. <laughs> they both look right. Yeah. <laughs> just get it tattooed on your hand then. Or I just know that this is my left side. That is that my works left side. Too, yes, that's yeah. my left side. <laughs> yeah. Or is it your other left? Or my other left, yeah. 
but it's it's uh, whatever whatever it is i mean some people some people navigate by landmarks um especially people especially people in the country i find you you they don't tell you how to get somewhere they tell you to go up past the old uh past old mcdonald's farm and then turn right where that cow tipped over that one time and when you get to where the tim hortons is going to be in 10 years then you'll be almost there (laughs) and and some some people navigate by landmarks and that's that's fine uh my my particular my favorite waypoints in the in the city are the beer stores because i know where all the beer stores are so well that's i was just going to say if you're ever in the uk and you ask somebody for directions their landmarks are all the pubs because there are pubs sure. everywhere and it's hilarious like i every time i've had to stop they're like okay so do you know where this pub is no okay well you're gonna <laughs> go here, 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 and then you're gonna see this pub and then you're gonna hang a right and then you're gonna come to this pub and then that's when you go left and then straight through past the roundabout at the next pub because everybody knows where those landmarks are because those are like their cultural centers, right? Where everyone hangs out. So Exactly. Well and within within the city, right? The the local the locals all know the all know the yeah. big landmarks, right? So there that's that's it's another way to navigate. So it's another way to to understand your waypoints. Yeah. Again, if you know where if you know where they are on your map, then you can you can kind of estimate how far you've come and how far you have yet to go. Yeah, that local knowledge is key when you when you're traveling into a new area and because people will use those landmarks and they're they're handy for you like if you go to toronto there's the big giant tower that really helps you figure out where you are in the city based on its location because you can see it from almost everywhere when you can't it's confusing but when you see it you're like oh okay i know where i am every time i've been in toronto and i've asked for directions has always been relative either to the lake or to the 401 yeah As long as you're between the lake and the 401, everything's fine. But until then, yeah. I kind of do my I, when I lived there. I did my best to avoid that section between the lake and the 401, and tried to stay north of it. But you, you mean the entirety of Toronto? Yeah, the entirety of Toronto. <laughs> just just avoid the Toronto part, and everything will be just fine. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. Most of the people that live there swore that the world ended at Highway Seven, and I thought, well, the world's just beginning up there. It's fantastic. No, that's where they officially switch over from Molson Canadian and Labatt Blue to to 50 and export. That's that's where that that's where that line is. <laughs> I wonder what happens north of the French River then. Um, they, start call, they start calling it Saint Gall. <laughs> <laughs> or you get that god awful Mosite or Fancy Mola stuff in the wine bottles that'll turn you blind. <laughs> <laughs> That's a big province. Um, <laughs> so I guess on a global perspective, we should try to talk about basics of latitude and longitude from uh, you know the whole Earth thing. Because if we're going to talk about GPS later on here, we should probably you know kind of cover that for the new people. So uh, anybody want to talk about that long? Or you want me to cover this? Go for it. You're the expert. Yeah, I think you, you deal with this on a more daily basis than we do. <laughs> yeah. So uh, latitude and longitude is a way of divvying up the Earth. It's you know roughly a basketball. My daughter will tell you it's 13 feet out at the poles. But anyway, so if you imagine a big basketball and if you take a bunch of slices horizontally uh, and where they appear on the Earth, those slices is basically your latitude. So it's your distance from the equator. So the equator is considered to be zero degrees latitude and the poles are considered to be 90 degrees north or, or south latitude from the equator. Uh, that's how they kind of divvy up the north-south equation and longitude is basically divvied up on the earth. If you can imagine just taking orange slices, if you're looking down at orange and basically a bunch of slices all the way vertically, it figures out the longitude. Uh, so that's basically distance from a uh, 
a defined point. So, of course, based on the fact it was invented by a British guy, and <laughs> at the time, London was kind of the, the shit. So the uh, little town outside of London called Greenwich um, basically was considered to be zero degrees. So they wanted to make that. That was where the Royal Observatory is. And so they came up with a zero degrees latitude because, hey, the world revolved around London at the time. So that's where they started. Is this and, pre-heliocentric theory? Like, do, uh, we, do we know that the Earth revolved around the sun or were we still believing in the, ultra, the Earth revolved around the British Empire at the time? Well, it doesn't revolve around Toronto either, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so they yeah. came up with that. Actually, I went to the Royal Observatory there a couple, a couple times as a tourist. It's actually a neat little museum. They used to have a line you could stand yeah. on that was zero degrees and they got rid of that because it's actually off by 107 meters um, yeah I have, I have a selfie in front of it back yeah. before that was a thing yeah yeah and then uh so yeah actually it's, it's very interesting so when they came up with that they actually the toughest time for the british navy back in the day to figure out where they were in the earth uh, latitude was never a problem because they had like basically a solar solar compass they could figure out their their relative position to the sun and that was no problem to figure out latitude but to figure out longitude they actually needed an accurate timepiece and so in order to figure out longitude without a timepiece they were just guessing and so what they came up with was as long as something could keep accurate time on the ocean with the rocking motion of the ocean and everything else they could figure out where they were east and west and so they came up with a standard which was uh, zulu time or greenwich mean time or universal time coordinated they all call it the same thing um, and basically it's, it's a standardized time that everybody uses so whether it be the military for you know what time they're going to attack at dawn to you know search and rescue time what time they're going to call time off i'm sure or, or start a search whatever have you usually if you're going to come up with a, a time that's you know, involved with the various time zones you want to use uh, what they call zulu time um so basically that was how they came across the idea of using that for longitude it's not a very politically correct term though yeah, well, it's just at the it, end of the alphabet. That, that's yeah, yeah. That was actually the phonetic alphabet for Z. So I yeah, guess, uh, and then that was the uh, that was, they went to universal time coordinated. I think when things got politically correct back in the '60s, but uh, Greenwich yeah. Mean Time was just as uh, you know egotistical at the time, right? Because yeah, again, there's there's other cities that happen to fall on the zero degree longitude line, but yeah, but I mean that's where the observatory is. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, now that we've kind of talked about that to death, um, so <laughs> in order to figure yourself where you are on the Earth, usually there's a latitude and longitude involved, and it's divided into 60 degrees uh, or 60 minutes for every degree of latitude, and then uh, 60 minutes of every degree and 60 seconds of every minute. Um, so it basically gets you roughly to about a 10 foot square kind of uh, position on earth using that system and that's what gps uses so uh if you're gonna start using gps and making up your own points you need to know kind of the basics of how lat latitude and longitude works interesting yeah, yeah. so at yeah. least you have a good idea of what that that's kind of covering off i guess and so uh whether it be um making your own waypoints which is like you have to self-program a gps which isn't that hard because i mean your your compass on your iphone usually has a latitude and longitude right on top of it so if you pull open the compass app uh, maybe they got rid of it and looked at it forever but they used to have a lot long built right into it yeah, i think it'll still do that yeah and then so you can uh yeah there it is right there so it has your latin long right here and uh it even gives you your elevation now that's pretty good <laughs> so if you want to like make a home base uh, waypoint go hiking out in the bush and you can always find your way back using that um there's other ways to do it if you really want to figure out uh, random stuff you can do sun's true bearing and everything else which you guys we can cover off but uh the first thing i want to talk about was like paper maps so we mentioned that before earlier in the podcast here um i think it's very important to have paper maps just in case you don't have cell coverage gps signal fails or whatever have you and 
uh, you know, between a backroads map book and a compass. Do you guys have backroads map books in Ontario? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you buy one of those, it's like maybe 20 bucks and it covers off a good chunk of every province or whatever have you. And it doesn't just show the, the main highways. It actually shows the, you know, with the goat trails and everything else that will be around that you might actually find yourself stuck on, which I think is pretty important. <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> If you're no doorsman in any way, you absolutely need a backroads map. Yep. Yeah. Also, yeah. how you find it's also how you find your access to the best fishing spots. Yeah, it's true. So when you're going to be a traveling latitude and longitude, if you want to go directly north, you know you're going to pull out the compass and you're going to look for the big N on the compass and then head north. But the problem is that's not always accurate. Um, there's something called variation involved. So basically, the difference between the top of the North Pole where Santa's workshop is and various other things um and the actual magnetic thing that this is pointing to is actually not co-located um so our magnetic north pole in canada is actually near resolute bay in northwest territories which is about i think about a thousand kilometers away from the actual north pole so if you're staring at you know north on the compass it's not going to match up unless you're sitting in the town of thunder bay in which case happens to line up perfectly but uh if you're east or west of there you have something called variation to deal with and it it gets worse the further north in canada you go because it starts to really get a big spread between you know the North Pole and Resolute Bay, depending on which direction you are. So before you start staring at compass, and then you're going to go head straight north. When you look at it, you actually figure what your variation is. Well, and that, that variation is not a constant either, right? It changes uh, every few years or something, right? Yeah, there's a lot yeah. of maps. There's a lot of maps that actually have uh, like lines of variation on them as well. Like if you're uh, topographical or aviation maps or anything else, they always have those on. But yeah, they're out of date within a few years too. So you have to. Yeah, I mean, line. even like some compasses like mine have the the sort of two lines on it, so you can go. This is magnetic north, and that's true north. But yeah, that every year, like, I mean, technically every day it changes, but you know, after a couple of years, this is when it actually sort of effectively changes. Yeah, because I mean, the differences are minor to most people. Um, you know, for sure, like if you're traveling in the far, far north, like I was saying in another life, I used to live way up in the Northwest Territories. And to go from like a place like Norman Wells, uh, which was an oil town up to uh, Inuvik, we'd actually be heading closer to west than north. But you're actually, if you look at the map, which is oriented to true north, You'd think you just, you know, look for the end and head up, uh, but you'd be going 90 degrees the wrong way. It's it's kind of crazy after a while. So yeah, all the trolls are not that reliable in the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the further south you go, I mean, if you're down the equator, you'd never know the difference, right? Yeah. Yeah, you'd have your drink but with the after, after, Yeah, after yeah. a few tequilas, then the differences don't matter anymore. Yeah, then nobody wants to live up in Norman Wells anyways. You'd be surprised how many people are there. It's it's oh, amazing. I, I know. I have a fr- I have people a friend who are there. there. Who want to be there? Yeah, yeah. that's true. There, that's that's true. There's people that get yeah. paid very well to be there, and people that just are there. Yeah. You know. And the people that are there, they can only leave once a year when the ice road is. <laughs> yeah. Or the or the boss pays for some time out. Yeah. Yeah. So um, now that we've talked a little bit about variation, so um, to figure out where your uh, magnetic variation is, do you guys have an easy way to figure out what the variation is? Uh, locally is there usually a map that you guys use uh I, I, it's called google okay fair enough that, that works uh, too i know um, roads. <laughs> i was thinking of a written written version maybe that in case you don't have the interwebs with you or something google control print screen yeah, yeah. <laughs> that works too um no I, I mean typically when i go places i don't i mean for the where i am and how far i'm traveling that's not an issue for me so i don't i don't i don't account for that difference 
Yeah, see, one trick we used when we were stuck up on the bush, um, if we needed to know actually the sun's true bearing versus, you know, using looking at the compass and having it be all wonky on us, you could actually use a calculator trick. So um, it's a little bit long-winded, bear with me for a second. So you just take the uh, Zulu time or UTC times, uh, just times by 15, uh, then take away your longitude point in space and then take away your variation and that gives you your sun's true bearing so you point yourself at the sun and that's the exact direction you're you're heading and then you can figure out you know north south east west from there um and that's basically because the the globe is divided into you know 24 hours 15 degrees per hour and then you uh take away your distance longitudinally from greenwich village which is center of the universe according to navigation account for your variation and before you know it you've actually got a just a, a calculator with a way of figuring things out of course hmm. if so no cell signal needed or anything else. That's one uh, one trick for sure. As long as yeah, you can also are. you can also use like an old analog watch to determine what direction you're heading. Yeah, you want to talk uh, about that one? I I have not done it in forever, so I'm maybe not the best person to do that. Um, but I do know that you can do it. It's a thing. During the day when you can see the sun, you can use that to determine what direction you need to go. Yeah, so it's only valid between six a.m. and six p.m. Um, just basically the limitations of your watch, <laughs> but basically yeah. you, point, you point the, uh, the hour hand of your watch, uh, at the sun and then halfway between the sun and the 12th on the watch is due south. And that's true. south. yeah, but then when it you're, flips when you're in the Northern hemisphere. Yeah. And then it flips when you're in the Southern hemisphere, right? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. have to use the. I guess you'd have to use the six. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, but that, that's certainly an easy way to do it. But I mean, I haven't seen anybody carrying around an analog watch for a long time. I got one in my bag, and that's about it. I wear one every day. No, there you go. But in theory, though, if you were stuck in a place for long enough, you could create a sundial. Yeah, that is true. And then that's use that to determine the direction as well. I didn't even talk about or did you think about sundials, but yeah, just a bunch of sticks placed on the ground every hour and you got a, a good uh, east-west uh, indication right then and there. Yeah, if you're really bored and you're stuck in a place for a long time, you can figure it out. Well, so uh, another quick way to figure out uh, which way is north, uh, bad art time, as we talked about before the show. So if uh, at nighttime you got a clear sky, you can just take a look at the uh, the Big Dipper. And the uh, front two stars of the Big Dipper, oh god, this is horrible art, but uh, front two stars of the Big Dipper basically point directly up to the tail of the Little Dipper, and that is Polaris, the North Star. And so the significance of that one is it's always pointing towards the north, but every star in the sky actually rotates around that star. So uh, it stays still all night long, and you'll if you know where north is, you can you know do some quick mental math. So it's the, the rest. true center of the universe, it's what you're saying. <laughs> well, hey, 25,000 years ago is Vega, a different star, but I guess it just kind of shifts around once in a while. Well, yeah, I mean, what is it, the precession of the equinoxes and all of that nonsense? Yeah, all sorts of random stuff. You can, uh-huh. Don't get me started on pole shift. That's another one of those conspiracy things. We <laughs> <laughs> I, thought that, I, I thought that was after the third song when the next girl gets on is the pole shift. <laughs> Gentlemen, welcome to the stage. Yeah. Oh boy. Oh yeah. Okay, Eric, get us back on track. Yeah. So, uh, as far as any points I've got, I'm still trying to figure out north. Well, go to the dollar <laughs> store and get stand in a place where you live. Yeah. 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 Think Think what direction? Wonder why you haven't before. (laughs) I've been saying that all week and uh, driving driving my coworkers nuts. Yeah, as long as you haven't started doing the line dance with it, that'd be even worse. (laughs) 
But uh, speaking of GPS and and uh, and apps and such, does anybody have any any applications or, or things like that that they do use uh, on a regular basis aside from the uh, the Compass app on the iPhone? Yeah, when I was uh, setting up the property here uh, when we first moved here, we actually used this something called Pure GPS. It's like a free app, which is nice, and it's very basic. But all you have to do is you can program your current location or you can actually program lats as long as you want to go to and it'll give you a just a basic compass needle that points you where you want to go and so if you want to figure out the shortest route between two points it's a great way to do it it's very user friendly and just extremely simple um so pure gps that's a free one um if you want to get a little more fancy with it uh, maps.me um you can you have to download the maps for your area and they're all free like the the app's free and the maps are free it just takes up memory on your phone but the nice thing about that is that there's no need for cell coverage. So if you're going out camping in the absolute sticks and there's no cell coverage around, it's an offline GPS app. So every smartphone actually has, I think after smartphone or iPhone three or four, they all have offline or built-in GPS locators. Yeah. And so uh, basically once you got this maps.me, it'll show your position on the map and the direction you're heading. Once you start moving, uh, the arrow starts pointing the direction you're heading, which is kind of nice. And it shows pretty much mo most goat paths around there. It'll show campgrounds that normally aren't even on regular maps. And it's actually really, really good for, for what you pay for it. That's a good one. I've always just used Google Maps. Um, I've taken screenshots of places if I knew I was going to be out in uh, out in the sticks. Um, and the way I've always done that is I would uh, highlight the uh, highlight the road before the road that I wanted to turn, so that it was uh, that was that was my that was my landmark, and that way I didn't have to be staring at my GPS while I'm trying to navigate on the road at the same time. But uh, even just screenshotting that and uh, and saving it as, saving it as a picture on your phone gives you another option if you're uh if you're out of cell coverage yeah i like the maps.me just because the simple fact that if once you've downloaded it if there's no internet connection you forgot or whatever have you it's just there and it's you can also mark place pins on it and everything else too yeah uh, I, I use an app called theodolite every now and again um more so sort of for for tracking and stuff like that it's uh kind of like it'll it does an overlay on your camera screen and it'll tell you what your bearing is and your altitude and even like what angle your camera is tilted at so you can use that to to accurately place uh images and stuff like that and determine a bearing if you're trying to track you know footprints or something like that you can kind of line that up and go oh yeah the general trend of this track is in this direction for this part of it and things like that what was the name of that one again uh, Theodolite, I believe. T H E O D O L I T E. Hmm. Oh, cool! It's it's pretty interesting. I mean, you can really get a lot of information on that one screen. I mean, it might be a little overwhelming for some people, um, but you just kind of got to learn to tune out the info that's not relevant to you and just focus on the stuff that is. But um, it can be pretty handy for for doing some kind of tracking type stuff or if you just want to be able to point your phone at something and go what direction am i heading it'll do that good way to do some research for if uh your phone does die or your uh, your apps or whatever don't work and get oriented and figure out what direction you are pointing yeah and i mean if you if you are into the whole um shooting thing you can use that stuff to determine direction and then you know your um angle towards your target, which comes in handy for determining your true distance 
and the Coriolis effect and all of that, if you're shooting at a certain distance, which is accounting for the spin of the earth and all of that fun stuff when you start getting into extreme long range stuff. Oh, so it's quite the versatile app then. Yeah. I mean, normally I just use my laser rangefinder when I'm doing that stuff because it does all that calculations for me, <laughs> but um, it is it is a pretty handy app, uh, especially like I said, on the, the tracking end of things when you want to kind of be able to take a, a picture of something and then be able to go back to it later so that you can kind of, well, you know, at this point it was going this way and heading in that direction. And then that way, like, in case you trample all over the, the sign that you found, you've preserved it and all of its information in the best possible manner. Interesting. I, I can see a lot of applications for that, especially like in a search and rescue setting. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's amazing for that kind of stuff, yeah. Awesome. I've got a, a couple apps here too to, to cover off. A, uh, the one that I use quite often when I'm out in the boat, uh, it's called Navtronics. They, uh, they've got um, marine mapping. So all your dip, different depths, uh, things to watch out for um, if there's under uh, underwater power lines, uh, rocks, that kind of thing. Uh, it even points out a couple of the good spots to fish. If, uh, if some people have mentioned uh, or, or put them on the map, it is a community type of map. So if, uh, if I was to add something and then you guys had the, the app, it would pop up on yours as well. Um, so some... what you do is you tag all the spots that are lousy fishing so that yes. everyone goes there and yep. exactly <laughs> yep, that's exactly how it works uh, but that product's the good one uh, they do um, some other types of maps as well the only one i've used is the the nautical one for out on the boat and then if anybody's running uh, garmin or uh, other types of gps and you're you're looking for maps but you don't want to pay the the hundred bucks for the updates every once in a while uh, you can go head over to uh, openmapchess.org and uh, grab their maps and uh, they're compatible with garmin i know that for sure i update all my garmin devices with uh, with their maps and they work no problem i don't know if they'll work with TomTom or any of the other uh, gps type devices but you can check it out and they've got all kinds of maps for uh, Canada, US, all around the world, and they're updated quite often. So they're uh, it's a good spot to go if you don't want to shell the hundred bucks out for an update. You can uh, pick them up for free. Uh, the Canada one I noted was a little took a little bit of time to download. You download them through Torrent, and there weren't a lot of seeders online down uh, putting up the the files for download. But uh, it took about a day or so for me to get the full thing. But I did get it. The American one I got in about fifteen minutes. There's tons of people sharing that one, but uh, they are all open. They're free to free to download. So you can check that out as well. Does the Navtronics one cost anything? Yeah, Navtronics is, um, what was it? It was about 25 or 30 bucks for the year. It's a subscription-based application, but uh, well worth it, uh, at least for the, the uh, nautical stuff. If you're going to be out uh, out on the water, it's a ton of information that's quite useful. Hmm. Yeah, like there's also an iHunter app, same idea. The app itself is free, but all the, uh, I guess all the uh, bells and whistles are all pay-as-you-go type of thing, but it is good and it'll, it'll it works on a lot long and it shows everything from private land, crown land, uh, you know, what WMU you're in and everything else. It's, it's pretty good. I think we mentioned that one before. Yeah. I think we talked about that in the, uh, the hunting, uh, episode actually. Yeah. I gotta check that one out. Cause yeah, the, the, the land that I normally hunt on is, is right on the border of a two WMOUs. So it's, uh, I don't worry about it so much cause I know the area cause I've been going there for years and years and years, but the last time I went up was with my old roommate, and he was a little paranoid about crossing into the wrong one. So that got me all paranoid about it now. So a little bit of paranoia is always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. it's only paranoia until you're right. Yeah, <laughs> but, but I can certainly attest to the 
the awesomeness of the uh, the nautical ones because my buddy's got a place down in Miami and we were out in his boat and uh, we had to chart a way through the channel there and it was basically the depth where we were at was about a foot deeper than his boat uh, straight down the middle and man it got us right through there with no problem so awesome yeah they're, they're unbelievable and especially like I mean you know back in the day it was like plus or minus a hundred feet you're like I don't know how accurate this is but now they're <laughs> they're unbelievable when when you do have a good GPS signal how accurate they are well, they're awesome well back in the uh, 80s and 90s when it first came out there I mean they had that what they call selective availability and where they intentionally downgraded the signal to, you know to keep the the, the plebes away from uh, <laughs> accurate <laughs> And yeah. Then I guess they guess they figured out it wasn't much point in doing that anymore. There, but the Soviets weren't a threat, so they got rid of that selective availability, and now it's it's, it's a superstar, right? But yeah, uh, like we call it the God, please save me for a reason, right? You know, it gets you yeah. get the jam. So. <laughs> oh, it's true. They're, they're nice to have, but it's always good to have that backup of a manual system as well. Yeah, but they always give you the stupidest directions. Like when you know the area and you put it in and it's telling you to turn left here and you're like, no, that's going to take me longer. Like this way is much faster. But the I've, left I've turn takes you to the advertisement. Yeah, exactly. Well, I, I've, <laughs> I've had GPS to actually take me back on myself. Like turn left, turn left, turn left, turn left. Now turn right. And right back at the intersection that I started at just to turn right when I, but I took oh, you know, four miles out of the way instead. Although I was a big fan when they had the, uh, the celebrity voices, the Gary Busey giving you directions one was amazing. <laughs> was it, was it sober Gary Busey or drunk Gary Busey? Oh, it was like full was on crazy. Yeah, it was full on crazy Gary Busey. It was amazing. Uh, that was awesome. awesome. Well, shall we uh, move into the podcast challenge? Yeah, I think Alan came up with this one. Sure. All right. So your challenge this week is to uh, pace out 100 meters and learn to estimate your distance covered using pacing beads or counting beads. Uh, so as Gavin explained earlier, that's level ground, um, open terrain, closed terrain, but also allow for uphill, downhill, uh, sidewalks, wherever, whatever's in your whatever's in your area where you may have to cover. Understand how far approximately 100 meters is, and make yourself a set of pacing so you know where you're going and you you should make those to five kilometers so that you can um validate that you have completed your podcast challenge from last week that's right and like like gavin said too i mean once you figure out what 100 meters is all of a sudden you know target shooting and hunting gets a little bit easier because you don't you can sit there and eyeball ranges pretty easy yeah 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 the best place like i said if you're going to do that is to to pace yourself out at like a football field because if it's done to Canadian standard, that's exactly 100 meters. If not, a track is 400 meters. So just walk the track and count your steps and divide by four. Awesome. And if uh, if you do get the podcast challenge done, make sure to uh, send an email in. Let us know what uh, went right, what went wrong, uh, anything that you would do differently. Uh, just fire an email into feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. We'll, uh, Has anybody actually done that yet? Uh, we've got one email from last week. <laughs> oh, no. But uh, we don't get a lot uh, A lot of people actually emailing. I, I, I figure some people are doing it, but uh, nobody wants to email us and actually let us know that uh, they've completed it. Operational security. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. It's it's the, the, the beginner prepper paranoia. And nobody wants to, to, to let it slip that they're, you know, they're getting into preparedness and for fear of societal repercussions, right? And then... Uh, 
who knows that's right true. i'll tell you what if you did the podcast challenge you don't want to tell us about it and you just want to email the word opsec to me i'm happy with that as well but as long as you, you have to include your name and address though first oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and <laughs> coordinates slot and long would be great yeah <laughs> Uh, so we'll move into some shout outs. So I uh, just want to put a quick shout out to the Sasquatch research scientist and the Torque Master uh, for the last uh, bunch of episodes. Actually, pretty much since the beginning, they've uh, added a lot of uh, a lot of good content to us to, and some good entertainment factors. So I much appreciate their uh, their comments and their continuing support of the show. All right. Well, I do uh, send a little shout out to the Cougar Strangler. It's not as nasty as it sounds. He does. He didn't uh, take out a, a bad date with a girl or anything else. <laughs> this guy actually uh, down in Colorado. He was out jogging, just minding his own business. It's on CNN.com, uh, and while well, they're not exactly the most fake, reliable news, fake news. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not exactly everybody's favorite news outlet right now. But this is actually a pretty neat article. So this guy was out jogging. A four-legged cougar, not the two-legged kind, attacked him. And instead of just you know laying down and giving up, he actually went toe-to-toe with it. It started clawing him up, and he just started choking the living daylights out of it because he didn't have a knife, gun, anything else on him, of course. And, uh, yeah, he actually strangled the thing to death. So he got away. He went down to the hospital. He's all cut up. And they said, what happened? And so he told them, they're like, no, you didn't. No. <laughs> so they, they stitched him up. He's like, no, no, seriously, you'll find some like ripped up clothing and a dead cougar at this location. And they're like, okay, whatever. And so they send up the, the local local police department. They found this dead cougar and they still didn't believe him. So they actually they went as far as doing an autopsy on the cougar to determine cause of death. And finally came out, it was asphyxiation. <laughs> so they're like, okay. So I guess that's one of those things where, you know, you can last three seconds without hope. Well, this guy didn't give up hope. So he has to get some, uh, some shout outs for that. Yeah. I, I'm glad he lived. Let, let's let's get that out of the way. I'm glad he lived. I also hate that he did that because nothing I will ever do will ever be as cool as the guy that's yeah. strangled a cougar. <laughs> well, and the thing is, yeah. they, wouldn't, they wouldn't release his name either right away. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This is like, he's going to be a hero. Yeah, this he guy's going to get some advertising rev. Probably because, yeah, the guy would be bombarded with all kinds of crazy letters and questions and everything oh and there'd be some butthurt people that'd be like you can't kill a kitty cat oh absolutely, absolutely. there will also be peter protest no you, you absolutely can't unless it's trying to kill you then it's yeah. totally okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or so if you have like, a license for it definitely worthy of mention though for sure and then um <laughs> so i put the link for the news article now and then the other one i was just going to mention to uh, canada ammo i mean they always have uh, various uh, sales out there and they're not always good material but it's usually cheap um i'm actually kind of curious i'm gonna order one of these right away but they put out like an msr version of a propane butane stove but instead of being 120 bucks they're like 19.99 and 24.99 i think for the two versions so if they work decently hope that puts some downward pressure on the other uh, outlets that charge an arm and leg for these things yeah awesome check that out yeah i'm gonna need to look at that too (laughs) yeah i mean i I look for a review video on these things on youtube and i think there's one in tie and that was it so i don't know <laughs> we'll see how well these things work but uh for 20 bucks i guess it's a pretty good gamble if it works okay yeah why yeah. not yeah. Uh, shout out to uh to some of my students i was teaching a first aid class last weekend and we got onto the uh got into the topic of preparedness when we were talking about building a 72-hour kit and i was talking to the podcast and uh some of them said they would listen to the next episode so uh hopefully they're hopefully some of them are out there and if you are then uh thank you for listening and tuning in awesome yeah. So as far as uh, iTunes reviews go, we are at 11 five stars. We've still got that one four star. Uh, the most recent uh, review posted is still by uh, M14 Medic. 
so if uh, if you are listening and you're enjoying the show, we'd greatly appreciate you just throwing a quick review up, whether it be good, bad, indifferent. Throw it up there. It, uh, it helps get our rating out there and uh, and get us, get us known and uh, get us picked up in, uh, in the uh, search queries from people. Uh, we do have a reply for the last podcast challenge as well from uh, the Torque Master there, so I'll read that out. Uh, so it says, hello, fine fellows. We've enjoyed yet another fine podcast. Uh, exercise, a Sasquatch research scientist and myself never venture into the field without the protection of full body armor. And have you ever seen an angry Sasquatch? I can't say as I have. <laughs> Trust me, it's a truly frightening experience. Uh, we park the new bright yellow deuce and a half and travel on foot for the most part, covering several square kilometers a day. Uh, we try to carry a pack with our, our camera gear, assorted motion detectors, sound recording equipment, and several rifles uh, of top secret make and caliber. Uh, we always carry a fine selection of Claymore mines that we set up for perimeter protection when we stop for tea breaks and lunch. Uh, given this, we are both fit as a fiddle and feel we meet the requirements of this week's prepper challenge. Keep up the outstanding work. We wait in anticipation for next week's podcast, The Torque Master. And this is why I So let's, let's just hope they're, 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 they're mounting those things with this side towards enemy. They got to make sure they get put it the right way. We just get really awkward otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Barrel down range. yeah yeah i also hope they got like polymer plates because man if you got steel ones those are heavy uh, yeah. <laughs> i got one from uh bogey there uh, we gave him a shout out there last episode and he actually came back to me with a private message on um, gun owners of canada and he thanked us for the shout out because that was she that was his first actual shout out or mention outside of the uh the forums there and he was actually uh it because um, I guess he's doing it for charity and and not too many people are actually willing to uh, recognize that so awesome I just for that absolutely it's a good cause and he's doing good work so don't mind giving the shout out at all so I guess I'll bring uh, episode 13 of the uh, Canadian Prepper podcast to an end uh, where can people find the show you can find the podcast on iTunes being Spotify or your favorite podcast app. Please help us out. Take a few minutes, submit a review. Helps people find us, helps us know what we're doing well and what we're not. You can also find us at theprepperpodcast.ca. YouTube live shows are now available. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel, The Island Retreat, and click the notification tab. That gives you alerts as to when we are going live. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, uh, handle at PPSWO. Uh, I don't do Facebook, and I have yet to set up an email directly related to that, so we'll leave it there for now. Well, you're one up on me. I've, I I think my kids just got Instagram accounts. I still don't even know, know how to work it or anything else, so <laughs> kind of avoid the social media when I can, other than this obvious one. But, uh, yeah, if you want to contact me directly, you can contact Ian at theislandretreat at gmail.com. I'd love to answer the questions specific to Western Canada. I'm also looking forward to helping local preppers take their first steps. You can also occasionally find myself and Gavin uh, giving your two cents worth on Canadian Patriot Podcast, also available on iTunes and YouTube. Uh, there you'll find us chatting about the merits of a freer society, bemoaning yet more government waste, and even diving into the occasional tactically driven conversation. Yeah, pretty accurate. Uh, yeah, you can find me, like Ian said, uh, on the other CPP. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, which you should really get on that. I think it's going to take off any day now. But you can find me do. there at uh, urbex underscore GTA. That, and just quickly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a quick shout out here to someone that just sent me a message about this show that we're recording right now. Uh, so 
Chachi, the Earl of Swansea. If you if you find this, this is this is the episode. Because um, yeah, I posted a, a photo, uh, and he's like, uh, "Where can I find the podcast?" So I said, "You can find it on the iTunes." So this is your shout out, but awesome. enjoy. What? <laughs> See, social media works. You, you got to get on it. So is it okay? I, I, God, I hate to sound like an idiot here, but uh, is Instagram an app or is it a like a web-based thing or what is it? Instagram is actually it, it's primarily a, primarily a mobile app, but there is a there is a limited function website that goes along with it. Okay, you just post pictures or messages or yes, yes, videos. All right, text, text, text images essentially. Yes, that you you post the rarest of Pepe's on there, and then people give you a like. <laughs> Well, my my daughter's uh, trying to invent a Republic of Vancouver Island flag that I can put in the background because you guys always have the Ontario flags and everything else. So I got to get something like you know. Uh, this is not the Ontario flag. This oh, is, is the, it, the the red ensign? Is it the red ensign there? Yeah, it's just no. the Ontario flag is the, the same flag but with just this portion as the whole shield, ah. and it was done in protest when they got rid of the red ensign. Ah, there you go. Ah, look at that. Yeah. The, and the, the, the official, yeah, the official motto of Ontario is what is it? And loyal she remains, I believe. Except to the flag, you know. <laughs> well, well it, we could talk. We could talk about who invented the new flag, but <laughs> that would just go. That would take us off on another whole tangent, and we're going to need a whole other episode for that. Yeah, yeah then, 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 we'd yeah. pretty much merge podcasts, and that would. Be- <laughs> <laughs> and then it start then it starts into the national anthem and everything else just uh, yeah. And, yeah. maybe that'll be a, maybe that'll be a good topic episode for CPP the other one and then you guys can all come onto that one and oh there we go there's an idea yeah I'll, uh, I'll, I'll navigate us back on track here if you uh, want to check out rapidsurvival.com and uh, you can get me there on the live chat uh, while buying some prepper gear or you can email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca of course while you're still buying some prepper gear at rapid survival uh thanks for joining us tune in next episode where we're going to talk about the tinfoil hat stuff debunked and or confirmed so until next time stay prepared stay safe and keep learning, learning.